News Talk 1110-993-WBT, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Um, sorry, I was, yeah, a lot of these names that people are giving me, like Andy has sent me some, uh, thank you, uh, Tiffany Cunningham, who's on the Court of Appeals Federal Circuit, Sarah A.L. Merriam, um, I'm seeing, uh, oh, here's one, Leslie Abrams Gardner, you know who that is? L- Think about it. U.S. District Judge Leslie Abrams Gardner. Leslie Abrams Gardner. Abrams. Stacy Abrams' sister, Katie Pavlich, says, would that make up for some of Biden's failure on federalizing elections? Oh, that's possible. <laughs> um, also, he apparently, Biden apparently voted he was in the Senate when Breyer was nominated, and now he's there to name his replacement. You've been in D.C. too long. Okay. Um, Mark Elias. <clears throat> Not a fan. Mark Elias is a Democrat, and he's a lawyer. And he is also uh, the discredited dossier funder. So the dossier the of... Uh, uh, from Steele, Christopher Steele, about Russia, 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 the, the peeing on the bed and all of that. Yeah, all of that garbage. That was Mark Elias's handiwork. He, he was the, uh, he, his law firm at Perkins Coie, he and his partner, they were the bag men. And because um, they were working for the Clinton campaign at the time. So uh, he's in the news for a couple different reasons. So I'll go through each one of these uh, one by one. So first off, um, he is in trouble. He got in trouble down in Texas. And this is the U.S. Court of Appeals, Fifth Circuit, back in March of last year for his behavior in a battle against a law that banned straight ticket voting. Okay, so think about this. North Carolina, by the way, used to have this law as well that you could you could go into like I remember. uh, I don't know when they undid it. I want to say maybe around the 2000s or so, late 2000s. Maybe it was when the Republicans took over. That might be it. I forget. But you used to be able to vote straight party ticket, except for president. But you could walk in and literally pull one switch, check one box, whatever, and it would vote for one party right down the ballot. Now, you still have to go and vote for, you know, if you had like an unaffiliated or nonpartisan race, you know, like a city council or school board race, you would still have to vote separately in that. And the judicial races as well, which is why... People weren't really participating in a lot of the judge races because you'd have to go in there and actually know candidates and you'd have to make an effort to vote. And people didn't do that. They would just go in, flip a switch and or push uh, push a button, check a box and straight party, literally straight party voting. So Texas did away with that. Okay, Texas did away with that. And uh, this was. um, Well, sorry. So so he goes in there and sues in order to keep that law in place. So this is why when I hear Democrats make arguments in North Carolina about, uh, you know, politicizing the bench and uh, uh, attaching D's and R's in the election uh, on the ballot so people can see Democrats and Republicans when they run for ju- uh, the judicial races. When, when I hear them argue about redistricting and, you know, fair maps, whatever, they're just they're, these are lies. Uh, that's the way I have to interpret them, because you don't hold a consistent standard at a party level across the country. You just don't. You are willing to allow these things, these abuses to occur, or these tactics to be engaged in, you're fine with them. 
This isn't a principled stand that you're taking in North Carolina. And the reason why I can say that is because I can see the way Democrats behave in all of the other states, and I can even see the way Democrats behave in jurisdictions that they control in North Carolina itself. Right? So, I mean, look what they did. The city of Charlotte. They have the opportunity to enact more, quote, fair maps. They have the opportunity to enact a fair system of representation at the Charlotte City Council level, but they don't do it. So, no. I don't believe them to be holding consistent, uh, principled positions. So, the former lawyer, Mark Elias, for Perkins Coie, uh, best known for funding the British ex-spy Christopher Steele's discredited dossier while he worked as Hillary Clinton's top campaign lawyer back in 2016, got punished by the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit back in March last year for his behavior in a battle against this straight-ticket voting law. Elias has attempted to fashion himself as a guardian of democracy despite his lead role in undermining the 2016 presidential election using the baseless Trump-Russia narrative. But the Fifth Circuit's sanctions pose a serious blemish for him as he fights to get Democrats elected this year. Paul Clement, the lawyer representing Elias, filed a late December request asking the full appeals court to take up the matter and to reverse the sanctions against him. Clement argued that appeals courts, quote, generally reserve sanctions for egregious misconduct, and Elias had committed only, quote, good faith mistakes. There is no reason to ever use the name Mark Elias and the term good faith in the same sentence, except if you are trying to provide an, uh, an example of not good faith. That's it. Okay? The Fifth Circuit judges found Elias and others on his team filed a motion that was denied, but then refiled a nearly identical motion without telling the court that the first effort was already denied. I know this is kind of technical and it's not really important, but basically it's like you asked mom for something. She did. She said, no, uh, you went to dad and he uh, and he said, well, what did your mom say or whatever? And, and you lied to your mom or you lied and say, oh, I didn't even ask mom yet. So the court didn't appreciate it. They didn't like it. They wait that he wasted their time. And it seemed like that. He was trying to pull a fast one. He got a ruling. He didn't like it. And so then he tried to refile the same thing and get a different ruling, almost like judge shopping, right? The underlying case, here it is, involved a 2017 Texas law which ended straight party ticket voting. And it was to take effect on September 1st, 2020, two months before the November 2020 election. A federal judge cited the pandemic to put the practice back in place in September 2020, but the appeals court overruled that and upheld the law that month. Texas Democrats have long claimed that the law hurts black and Hispanic voters. Think about this for a second. His argument and Democrats' argument on this is that if black voters and Hispanic voters can't vote straight party, that they are harmed by this. That's their argument. Imagine... The arrogance and condescension rooted in, let's be, let's call it what it is, racism, prejudice, right? That is required to believe that about one cohort of people based solely on the color of their skin. It really is amazing, the arguments. When you stop and think about the arguments being advanced by a lot of the uh, the, the Democrat lawyers and stuff in these cases, 
they really are offensive. I mean, it's really terribly offensive to people. I don't know why folks don't stand up and call it out. Well, I mean, aside from me. Matt Fuller at the Daily Beast says there's no way Democrats would have gotten 60 votes for a Supreme Court nominee in this climate. So I guess you can thank Mitch McConnell for eliminating the filibuster on that one, huh? Eh? Eh? Yeah. So it's interesting. He is correct, by the way. But you could thank Mitch McConnell, and of course you should also then go back and thank Harry Reid, right? On the judicial nominees. Could you imagine trying to get over the uh, the filibuster, the judicial filibuster, right now with the, uh, with the way it is? 60 votes? It, w- it would not happen. Um, so there's that, and then I had... Um, Biden, oh, uh, this is uh, from Clay. Biden has once again pigeonholed himself by promising to nominate a black woman during his campaign. Stacey Abrams' sister would check that box, but, oh, oh, it's going to be fun. That's true. He did say that. Biden made the promise that he would nominate a black woman to the U.S. Supreme Court, saying it's long past time that they had representation, which I'm not sure that's how that's supposed to work, but that's, that's what he promised, so I expect... He's going to, yeah, he's going to uh, to factor that in. And then Leon Wolf, uh, he is uh, an editor or the editor at um, theblaze.com. And he says there are a million people that Biden could pick who would satisfy his base and won't have any danger of being defeated in the Senate. But based on his first year in office, I am quite confident that he will instead nominate Gary Busey. <laughs> so let me add Gary Busey to the <laughs> to the list of potential <clears throat> nominees. We shall see. Um, all right. So Mark Elias, I went over the first uh, story about Mark where he is um, being sanctioned and now they're trying to fight the sanctions down in Texas. Um, for basically filing the same motion twice, um, trying to get it past the judges. Now, his lawyer is like, oh, it was a simple, honest mistake. He just forgot he had already been denied that same thing, right? Whatever. Uh, so there's that. Then there's this. Technofog. It's a substack, and uh, they've been following the, uh, the Durham investigation, special, uh, special counsel John Durham who's been doing this like really lengthy investigation about the Russia collusion thing and how all of that uh, uh, unfolded, how it became uh, you know, public information, who drew up the dossier, who funded it, how did all of the different actors involved in it, whatever. He's, tra- he's like sort of uh, unraveling this ball of thread. So apparently the other day, or sorry, what's today, the 26th? So yesterday, I guess. He provided a discovery update to the court in the Michael Sussman case. And in this filing, he disclosed that his team has obtained a tremendous amount of information ranging from a variety of sources, including Perkins Coie, the Hillary Clinton campaign, and former DNC Clinton lawyer Mark Elias. While Sussman has been charged with giving false statements to then-FBI General Counsel James Baker regarding the Alpha Bank Trump Organization hoax, and I'm not going to go into the details on that, it was, this was the, the Alpha Bank, and they're like, oh, it's the Russian bank, and 
that, that was anyway that was debunked and but this was used they they shot this info to the fbi and got the fbi uh on the trail of the trump campaign durham notes that the government quote also maintains an active ongoing criminal investigation of michael sussman's conduct sussman in other words sussman's criminal conduct is likely not limited to just the false statements he made to the FBI at the time to get all of the ball rolling on uh, on the investigation into the Trump campaign, okay, uh, regarding Alpha Bank. So Sussman is the part, former uh, partner with Mark Elias, okay? So in this filing yesterday, John Durham, the special counsel, says that his team has secured grand jury testimony from Mark Elias, who was former Perkins Coie partner, the law firm, and he's the lawyer for Hillary Clinton and the former lawyer for the DNC. Uh, they have also gotten grand jury testimony from current CIA employees, former FBI General Counsel James Baker. Uh, Durham and his team have also completed interviews of uh, more than 24 other current and former FBI employees, current and former employees of the CIA and DARPA, the former chairman of the DNC and the Clinton law firm Perkins Coie, a former employee of the Clinton campaign. They've also obtained records and documents from the Clinton campaign, from Perkins Coie, from Hillary for America, from Fusion GPS, also a classified memo and related reports of interviews pertaining to a criminal investigation previously conducted by the DOJ regarding a potential leak of classified information. He also secured about 400 emails between the FBI and Perkins Coie from January 16 through June of 2017. And there will be more. Durham said that the government expects to receive additional information and documents in the coming weeks that may be relevant to the charged conduct. Now, we expected some grand jury testimony. The fact that Mark Elias went before a grand jury is certainly newsworthy. It's possible that his testimony was limited to his partner's involvement in the Alpha Bank hoax. Right? That's possible. There were emails between Elias and Sussman regarding those allegations. But consider the possibility that Durham has used the crime fraud exception to compel disclosure of information otherwise subject to privilege and help elicit testimony. And it leads this uh, this website to believe that Durham is focused on something more substantial than the Alpha Bank allegations, maybe the inception of it all, the claim of Russian hacking. We shall see. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. A couple of emails here. For, uh, this is from Sharon to Pete at thepetecalendarshow.com. If Joe Biden wants to protect himself from a primary challenge from Hillary, this is a good way to remove her from the contest. <laughs> you can put her in as the uh, nominee for the Supreme Court. That's true. Put her on the bench. Hillary Clinton on the bench. That'll keep her from running yet again. Thank you, Sharon. Appreciate it. And um, Dennis says, Pete, you used the term judge shopping a few minutes ago, and it Makes me think that when Biden goes judge shopping to replace Breyer, he'll find the shelves empty due to no deliveries from the supply chain. That's could be possible, yes. And Andy says, I've got it all wrong. Breyer is retiring. The logical nominee would be Ben and Jerry's. Fair enough. Well, what about Michael Avenatti? 
Or, or how about this? Hunter Biden. How about Hunter Biden? Why not Hunter Biden, right? Didn't he go to law school? I think so. He knows the law. I mean, you got to know it before you break them. So, like, he knows laws. And he's a really good painter. Think about how much money he could generate. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of different potential nominees. A lot of nominees. Uh, back to Mark Elias. Also on my short list here of potential nominees. It's official. Durham is investigating the Clinton campaign. And Mark Elias is up to his eyeballs in this. The latest filings, and by the way, all of this stuff on Elias is building to the latest development. These are all the developments just over like the last four to six weeks that I've been going through, okay? Uh, Latest filings by uh, Special Counsel John Durham reveal the lawyers for the Clinton campaign now represent Christopher, uh, that now rep, yeah, sorry, let me start this again. The lawyers for the Hillary Clinton campaign now represent Christopher Steele's primary subsource, Igor Denchenko. So you got that? The lawyers for the Clinton campaign are now representing Denchenko. And in doing so, John Durham tips us off to something else, that the Hillary Clinton campaign and multiple former employees of the Hillary Clinton campaign are also under investigation. Denchenko was the primary subsource of Christopher Steele. He was arrested on November 3rd because he gave multiple false statements to federal officials during his 2017 interviews with the FBI. These included lies about his sources, his travels to Russia, and his falsified contacts with Sergei Milian. Notably, special counsel John Durham alleges that one of Denchenko's real sources was Charles Dolan Jr., who serves, uh, served in various leadership positions to elect Bill Clinton in 92 and 96 campaigns and was an advisor to Hillary Clinton in 2016. With Dolan's involvement, the obvious question becomes whether he was the intermediary between the Clinton campaign and Danchenko. Um, that was, this is also at technofog.substack. Website's been following all of this stuff. It's a good site for the Durham updates. Which brings us back to the National Review. Democratic lawyer Mark Elias, who has been filing and threatening lawsuits around America, accusing Republican-led legislatures of drawing grotesquely gerrymandered political maps, is facing charges, not just the, not just the sanctions, but charges of hypocrisy, as if Democrats care about that. Uh, because... He filed a legal motion in Maryland that would allow him to defend gerrymandered maps that Democrats drew and passed in that state. Mark Elias, a prominent gun-for-hire representing the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, or the DCCC, he filed this motion about five days ago to intervene in a partisan gerrymandering case in Maryland. If the motion is granted the DCCC would become a defendant in the case, which was filed in December by the nonpartisan group Fair Maps Maryland. He's opposing Fair Maps. The Fair Maps Maryland lawsuit claims that Maryland's new political maps approved by Democratic lawmakers are unconstitutional and based on 
extreme partisan gerrymandering. It is literally the opposite side of the case that he's arguing here. It is one of two lawsuits targeting these maps. The Princeton Gerrymandering Project has given Maryland's congressional map an F for offering, quote, a significant Democratic advantage. In his motion, by the way, uh, have you seen the Tennessee maps that just got approved? There's, yeah, they went from like, I think they got like nine seats in Tennessee and they had two Democrat seats and, and the Republicans drew them out of one of them. And now it's like down to one, it's one Democrat seat left in the state. That's not fair, Pete, cry the people who just drew this Maryland map. The Maryland new political map based on its 2010 maps, which critics called the most gerrymandered in America. The Washington Post called Maryland's third congressional district the nation's most bizarrely gerrymandered district. In 2017, former Democratic Governor Martin O'Malley ran for president, if I recall correctly, right? Um, yeah, it was an electrifying campaign. Martin O'Malley. Anyway, he acknowledged that he had engaged in manipulating maps for political purposes, a practice that he said he no longer supports. Democrats do not hold fast to a principle on fair maps. They do not. And I know that's a sweeping generalization, but I'm just looking at the evidence throughout America in all of the jurisdictions that they get to control. They put in place maps that benefit them. So... No, they don't hold some superior ethical or or you know moral position here uh, when it comes to drawing the maps. And Mark Elias is Exhibit One in the case. He wrote that in this filing, in his motion, he wrote that the DCCC's purpose for intervening is to quote defend its interests in congressional districts in Maryland and to allow Democratic candidates to be competitive. To be competitive in Maryland. Yeah, because Democrats aren't competitive in the state that's like completely controlled by Democrats. Right. Okay. Please. The new congressional maps keep seven safe Democrat seats and makes the one Republican district more competitive for Democrats. That's it. So they they, they drew themselves every single district and they left one for a Republican to maybe win. Elias has been a harsh critic of alleged partisan gerrymandering in Republican-led states and has filed several lawsuits challenging their new political maps. In November, he filed a legal challenge here in North Carolina, calling our map, quote, a grotesque partisan gerrymander. He called it indefensible and said it was proof that the Republican Party has lost all shame. I know you are, but what am I? By the way, this will impact North Carolina media's coverage of Mark Elias in zero ways. I doubt they'll even mention the case. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Coming up after 2 o'clock, we'll talk with John Warren running for U.S. Senate. So a funny thing happened on the way to the emerging Democratic majority. 20 years on, the co-authors of that hugely influential work on the subject acknowledge that their party has taken a detour. Blake Hounsill and Lee Askaranenemenem at the New York Times, I think is how she pronounces that, um, with the headline, A Political Scientist Warns the Democratic Party is Off Course. You may recall back in 2002, the political scientist Rui Texera 
and the journalist John B. Judas published a book that struck a chord among liberals despondent over the success of George W. Bush, a president who was then so popular that he gained seats in that year's midterm election. I mean, I think 9-11 had something to do with it, country at war and all of that, but whatever. 2002, Democrats were very, very, very despondent because Bush had bucked the trend where you're the first uh, midterm election, you know, the party that controls the White House usually loses seats, but his party did not. Democrats thought they were going to win, and then they didn't. They thought they were going to win in 2000, and they thought George W. Bush had stolen the election. And they were running around saying, you know, well, they were saying things that Donald Trump is saying now. But back then, it was totally fine, because it's different when the Democrats do it, don't you see? The Emerging Democratic Majority, this was the book, The Emerging Democratic Majority, took note of the demographic change pulsing through the country, and it boldly predicted that the Democratic Party was poised to dominate American politics for the foreseeable future. So don't worry, losers, after you just lost... I'm sorry, that's that sounds harsh. I didn't mean it like that. Seriously, I didn't mean it like that. I meant like they had just come off of the loss, they had lost the races, and they were like very despondent, and here comes these authors, these political science guys, and they're like, don't worry! The Hispanic vote will save us. And this, remember, launched this slogan of demographics is destiny, which I always found to be a bit racisty. But again, it's different when Democrats say it. Um, so this led to where uh, it set an expectation. Let me say it that way. It set an expectation that if we can just get enough people of a certain, you know, immutable racial characteristic, if we just get them here, then that will mean that we can we'll be able to win back power and keep it forever and ever. Yay us. And when you have that expectation and it is based only on the color of some people's skin and their arrival, well, first off, you you've now incentivized the Democrat Party to go out and just, you know, get more people into the country of a certain characteristic, right? Because they think that's the way they're going to keep and retain power forever and ever and ever. When that doesn't happen, because, oops, not all, hashtag not all Hispanics, they don't all vote the same way as Democrats want them to. Because they believe that if we can just bring people in and that look a certain way, they'll vote for us. Again, kind of racisty, but not my view. So, uh, like, do not hold me responsible for the view of these other people so they were like bring in a bunch of people they'll vote for us sets the expectation that doesn't happen and now it's led to disappointment right now you've got a situation where they're looking to blame people so here's what this guy Rui uh, Texera and I don't know if I'm pronouncing it uh, correctly or not I apologize if I'm not Uh, it's not my intent but I will continue to do so. Anyway, over the next decade, this block of voters, he says, is expected to continue to increase and extrapolating from recent trends, it could make up nearly a quarter of the electorate. This is what they originally wrote. If these voters remain solid, solidly Democratic, they will constitute a formidable advantage for any Democratic candidate. Democrats could suffer from an embarrassment of political riches. They did not. Key qualifier in that sentence. If these voters remain solidly Democrat. Well, six years later, the American public elected Obama and they were like, oh, this is looking good. This is looking like it's coming our way now. 
But it unraveled quickly with the election of Trump, who not only discovered pockets of white working class voters that few knew existed, but also appealed to more voters of color than anybody had expected. Now, as president, I love how they just kind of whistle right past that one, right? <laughs> Why did Donald Trump, the racisty racist guy that you said he was, how could he have picked up more voters in these cohorts? It's so, it's a brain buster. Now, as President Biden sinks in the polls, Rui Texera finds himself fighting against what he says is a caricature of his famous book. His Substack newsletter called The Liberal Patriot delivers no-holds-barred reality-based analysis, unafraid to take on what he calls a race-essentialist dogma dominating the Democratic Party. This is hilarious to me. He's now, what's he, be, uh, what's he beefing on? He's mad at the focus on race as an explainer for everything. He's like, guys, we got to move. We got to move away from this is the guy who wrote the book Demographics is Destiny that basically said, hey, if you just, you know, get enough people of a certain race, we'll win forever. But he says, look, look, you guys don't understand. We very specifically said, and this is widely ignored, that for this majority to attain and exercise political power, you have to retain a certain fraction or a significant faction uh, of the white working class. And Democrats did not do that. <laughs> and so why? What did what does he cite as the reason? Open borders, crime, critical race theory, defund the police. These are the big things that have driven people out of the Democrat coalition uh, over the last few years. He says, uh, we haven't made any progress. Everybody who is white has work to do in terms of discarding their racism. This is not the way to win this is the way the party talks though maybe the fever is breaking i don't know he says we're fast approaching the edge of the pandemic a democrat should be ready to reopen the country you've just got to send the message that what you want is for people to be happy and for things to be back to normal that's what he's recommending now will they take his advice on this i'm not confident news is next Thank <laughs> you.